We're going to read from two passages this morning. Um, There's a lot you can pick from in Hebrews chapter 4 about Jesus as priest. But we're going to start uh, in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 to 16. And then we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 7. If you would like to turn with me, please do. But we read from Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 to 16. And it reads this. Jesus, the great high priest. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. And we're going to move to Hebrews chapter 7 and we're going to read from verse 23 to the end. And it reads, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. I wonder if you've ever watched somebody do a really dangerous job and been really relieved that they can get paid a lot of money to do that job so that you don't have to do it. I really don't fancy ever washing windows on a skyscraper. I also don't fancy being one of the guys that paints the fourth road bridge. I'm quite happy for somebody else to be paid well to do that. I don't particularly fancy being a fisherman, especially not off the North Sea of Scotland in these wee lobster boats. No thank you. And one of my friend's brothers is just qualified as a diver eh, that goes and fixes stuff at the bottom of oil rigs. No thank you. I can't think of anything worse. And I imagine that if I'd lived in the time of Moses and in ancient Israel, I think a priest would have had that same effect. I don't think I would have wanted that job. I wouldn't have wanted to occupy a position in the priesthood. Let me tell you why. For us to understand a little bit of what it means, and for those that weren't here last week, we're in the second of our three-part series in Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And this morning, we're in the second of those, we're in Jesus as priest. So what I want to do is is very quickly uh, tell us, recap, um, however your knowledge is, on, on the role of an Old Testament priest, and look at what it means that Jesus now is the great high priest. There are two functions of a priest. The first is the act as representatives of God. 
For a priest to represent the Godhead, he must first know who he is representing. There was an acknowledgement in a priest that there was a personal knowledge uh, that gives him a greater uh, intimacy and revelation than those that he is serving. There, there, was, there was a knowledge that this man stands to, to, to hold this position. Priests were known for their faithfulness and for their knowledge of God. And their second function was to offer sacrifices to God. Because a priest is called to represent the people. And their need to, to give back to God and to make uh, a sacrifice, or if we want the gospel word, a propitiation, um, uh, that is acceptable to God. And that pulls back to the covenant that was established. Do you know, it was a relentless and it was a never-ending task to be a priest. The character of a priest, too, they must be holy. They must be upright. They must be from the line of Levi and Aaron. They must be without physical defect. They can't shave their beard. And they have to wear the garments as prescribed in Exodus chapter 28. We looked last week at Jesus as prophet. And you know, if Jesus was only a prophet, then Christmas in itself is not worth celebrating. Because it's not enough for us just to know more about God or his word. It's not enough for Jesus just to come and give us more instruction. No matter how good, no matter how right uh, what he says might be, it's not good enough for us. Because actually the problem for us isn't just that we're ignorant in the word of God. Because a lot of the time we know exactly what God is instructing of us. Often we don't need somebody to tell us we're sinners, but we need somebody to take away that sin. And we find in this beautiful richness in Hebrews 4 to 10, um, details of how Jesus is this ultimate high priest and how his priesthood is far greater than what has gone before. The writer explained that the Old Testament priesthood foreshadows, it shows us, it, 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 it illuminates, it goes before the ultimate priesthood of Jesus. And there's three characteristics I want us to look at this morning. Uh, two in Hebrews chapter 7 and one back to chapter 4. And the first of those is he is permanent. We've got three. He's permanent. He's perfect. And he's personal. So we'll start with he is permanent. Verses 23 uh, 24. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Very simply, the Son is eternal. The Son is part of the Godhead, has no beginning and has no end. Therefore, it means that his role as priest is permanent. And it's always a helpful reminder for us at Christmas that, that, that Jesus, the Son, didn't come into existence as a baby. We didn't have the Father, then we had the Son, then at Pentecost we had the Spirit. But the Trinity, God three in one, has existed in all time in perfect community and communion together. 
But the way that God chooses to reveal himself to man obviously changes. And just read the first few verses of, of John chapter 1 and you'll see that, what it means that for the word to exist in the beginning and for the word uh, incarnate in Christ. Verse 23 tells us that when a priest dies, so too their office comes to an end. Because of course there is a timeline for all people. Because all flesh is like grass and all its glories eh, are like flowers. The grass withers and the flower fails. A reminder for us of how fragile life is and without Jesus how fragile the sacrifice was. But of course with Jesus there is no timeline. With the Christ eh, he is eternal. And we read in Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. You see, like the priests that had gone before, Jesus' story didn't come to an end when he died. Because his resurrection and his ascension prove to us that he continues forever. It proves to us that our Christ is eternal and he is the perfect eternal high priest. And any desire to go back to uh, any of the system of the Old Testament, any of the, 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 the temple system, the priestly system, takes away from the priest that has come. And because he is permanent, because Christ uh, is eternal and permanent, we have the privilege of calling ourselves the royal priesthood. The royal priesthood that will spend eternity with him because we are his. Because we are the chosen race. Because we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his possession. He's permanent and he's perfect. Those words from verses 25 to 28. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which comes later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. I remember my first date with Victoria. I remember how scared I was. Um, I remember getting ready. And putting on far too much of that one expensive bottle of aftershave I had as an 18-year-old. I remember cleaning my shoes. I probably even ironed my t-shirt, which was probably quite impressive for me back then. Um, I brushed my hair and I wanted to look my best. Because first impressions mattered. And you know, when we really care about something, whether that's a, a potentially blossoming relationship or whatever it is, when there's something that we care about, we give our best. And that's exactly what we find here. God gave his very best. 
you know, when Jesus was set apart as our high priest, God gave the absolute best that he could offer. He didn't withhold anything at all from us. And why was that? Because only the perfect would do. Only the perfect could possibly fulfill the requirements of the sacrifice that was needed for the forgiveness of sins for eternity. For that continuing work of intercession, it needed a perfect and eternal sacrifice. And we read that, don't we? That the criteria that Jesus fulfills, he is to be holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. The list of candidates for that aren't very big. There's nobody that's going to be able to stand against that as much as we might try. And it was going to take somebody utterly breathtaking to stand in our place. And these are some of the characteristics of our Lord Jesus, of our perfect sacrifice. Unlike those earthly priests, Jesus didn't have to make sacrifices for himself. Because he was perfect. He was sinless. Which qualifies him to be the one and the only great high priest. For it was indeed fitting, it says. No other priest could meet the standard that was required to release us from the bondage and the weight of sin except the one whose holiness was perfect Jesus didn't have to offer a sacrifice he didn't need to cleanse himself on the day of atonement as the priests would sacrifice for themselves Jesus didn't need to for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever and because of that perfection i love these words he is able to save completely not a little bit not some but 110 percent completely that's the savior worth believing in that's a sacrifice worth buying into that pays a price absolutely And it's a wonderful reminder for us uh, that salvation is truly a free gift from God. Do you know, in this work as the high priest, there's no me and there's no you in this. Apart from the sin that made this necessary, there is no me and there is no you in this. And thank goodness. Because if if the qualification for the high priest was holiness, innocence and blamelessness, we're all in trouble. Thank goodness. Thank goodness that our salvation rests on the character and the actions of the Son of Man and not on the character and the actions of us. And it takes us thirdly to the beautiful reality that He is personal in Hebrews chapter 4. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You may be sitting there thinking this isn't very Christmassy. And that's, I guess, understandable because there is no Christmas narrative in this. But I think this so wonderfully brings alive Christmas for us. Because, you know, there were human struggles, there are human struggles that God couldn't relate to. Of course, God knows all things. Of course, he knows what we are going through, but there are things God cannot do. You know, God, God in heaven cannot hunger. God can't worry. He didn't know physical pain. But, of course, through the incarnate Christ, God knows all of these things. And it was the only way, it was absolutely the only way that we could be saved was through that perfect sacrifice that took God himself. And that's the reminder that we come to when we come to the Christmas story is that this God himself knows everything that we could possibly go through. Everything. He encountered every single bit of it. Whether it be the, the death and the loss of his friend Lazarus, as he wept, as he mourned that loss, as he knew the pain, the physical pain, far greater than most of us will probably ever know by hanging on that tree, as he, as he didn't eat for 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus knew what it was to hunger. And then to be tempted off the back of that, Jesus knows what it is to be tempted as far as you could possibly be. And this is always just the amazing part of the story of Jesus is that all of us, all of this was done for us and all of this is from a God who loves us deeply and intimately. So there's a few things that this does for us. There's a the first thing that because he is permanent and perfect and personal as our high priest, it firstly it opens up scripture for us. Because until we can grasp that Christ is God in flesh, the Old Testament remains a collection of stories about how men and women struggle with the call to faith. You see, the incarnation that Jesus taking on flesh. It really sets stage for God to once again live with man, for God to dwell amongst us, to walk as we walk. You know, on every page of the Old Testament, God promises a human deliverer who is stronger than Satan. Everything foreshadows what is to come, the perfect one, that suffering servant, the anointed king. The ultimate sacrifice. And the reality of that God that is with us is starting to be explained from the beginning of the gospel in Matthew. And for the rest of the New Testament, that's what we see, isn't it? We see Jesus lived out and then the implications of that. Because the New Testament for us isn't simply just a collection of, uh, of ethical instructions. 
It isn't just a, a, a commentary on the life of this man. But it is a real life story of what happens when God came to dwell amongst us. That we might belong to him. Do you know the New Testament is the answer to the Old Testament? One of our young, was it, I can't remember if it was one of our young people or one of our leaders, I don't know if I said this, but they gave this illustration of the Old Testament being like a cookbook um, that shows you banana bread. I can't remember whose illustration this was, but I quite liked it. Um, we can look at that and we can go, I bet that's really nice. I like that. We're looking forward to, to, to what could be. And then the New Testament is like the, the loaf of banana bread, bread break, baked. The cookbook is lovely and we can think about it and it helps set us up. And then we actually have the real thing. And nothing beats, well, banana bread, but nothing beats the real thing. You know, we read in Revelation 21, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. That is our reality today. Because Jesus came as the great high priest that paid that sacrifice once and for all. The second thing it does is Jesus makes God accessible. Because of course God was only accessible in the Old Testament through the mediation and the intercession of the prophets and the priests of the tabernacle of the um, temple that was so important. Because no Israelite could properly see God. But in Christ, God doesn't just become accessible. He comes accessible to us in the most familiar of form. And that form, of course, is just like us. Six times in the beginning of 1 John, we read we saw him. We saw him. We saw the one sent from heaven. And if we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. Because God is Christ-like. When we want to see God, we look at Jesus. And all the characteristics of him we see in Christ. Jesus reveals our only mediator. Do you know what I mean? Sinai, Israel desperately needed mediation. They were utterly and rightly so terrified by what God was saying to them. He said in Deuteronomy 5.25, If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. And God, of course, gave Moses as this temporary mediator. And of course, as we looked at last week, he did that and said, wait for the one who is greater than I will be in Deuteronomy 18. There's still one to come that you will listen to. And he is the same one, of course, that Paul wrote, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. Jesus also reveals for us, in the Christmas story especially, God's humility and his glory. It 
it, it still just it baffles me, and this is one of the mysteries of God I don't think we'll ever understand. It still mesmerizes me that God himself would just come as a man because we need rescued. God himself gave his one and his only son. God lowered himself to gather us, his rebellious children, to himself. I can't fathom the level of love and the level of care that that shows our God having for us. Because even the earthly body of Jesus himself was lowly. He wasn't the fittest, he wasn't the best looking, he wasn't that knight in shining armor or that king that came riding on the clouds at this point. But Jesus walked with a true humility. And through all of that, and through the greatest act of humility that we will ever see on the cross, through that pierces the glory of God, the forgiveness of sins that only he could bring. And finally, where we leave us this morning is Jesus must and should compel us to godly living. For the love of Christ compels us. Those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. True godliness is us doing everything that we can to live in that loving experience, in that relationship with God. The wrath of the Father cast onto the Son so that it doesn't come to us. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect mediator, the perfect priest. We need to know Jesus. We need to know Jesus as he truly is as God and as man somehow bonded together, still just both completely at the same time. And you know, knowing Jesus ensures that we are constantly being changed and transformed by him. I don't know about you, but every year we come to Christmas, I don't feel like I really understand it anymore. I don't really feel like every year I'm a little bit closer to getting what it means, God incarnate. But it is such a deep mystery. It is such a deep mystery of how God can become man but not give up his deity. But what we can understand is that because of that, we can now approach God's throne in confidence. And we can do so for the mercy and the grace that each one of us so desperately needs every single day. God had every right to leave us alone in our sin. God had every right at the gates of Eden to cast mankind out for the rest of eternity. But he entered into what is often the misery of this fallen world surrounded by all the difficulties that come with this world. Yet not becoming like it. Not himself becoming a sinner so that he might rescue us from the eternity that we deserve.
Friends, would that compel us to lives of praise and lives of thanks? Would we never tire of worshiping God? Would we never tire of worshiping the one who came to save us? The one and the only that can save. Because friends, he has paid the ultimate price. Let's pray. God, we thank you that indeed you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son. We thank you that now we have access to the one true God. Not just access, but personal relationship. We thank you, God, for your sacrifice. We thank you, Jesus, that you willingly gave your life. You were willing to be sent so that I and we might come to know you. Would our lives be beacons of praise and thanksgiving to you? Would we constantly be in awe of who you are and what you have done? In your name we pray. Amen.